Nook Nation, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Nook Nation podcast. And joining me today, he is your voice of the Chinooks. He is the human living version of a Chinooks encyclopedia, Mr. Matt Menzel. Matt, welcome back to the podcast. Eric, always great to be back with you. I'm guessing there's probably been a ton that has changed in your life in quarantine since we last talked a week ago, right? Your life completely flipped upside down or exactly the same from a week ago. Yeah, I think I've moved a couple of inches over since you and I last did this. But outside of that, <laughs> you're exactly right. Nothing has changed. Uh, maybe my house is a little bit cleaner. I'm no longer a hoarder. I consider myself a historian. But outside of that, nothing else has changed. Yeah, it's not good days to wear a Fitbit anymore while you nope. sit around the house. But last week, we had a great time talking about the top pitching performances in the eight years of the Chinooks. And this week, we're going to talk about the top hitting performances around the past eight seasons over at Capitol Park and around the Northwoods League. So let's dive right into it. 2012, the inaugural season, a team that finished fourth in the South Division, um, 500 ball club. What do you remember best at the plate with the 2012 inaugural crew? You know, I was thinking about this the other day, and, and you know, just based on pure memory, if I think back to 2012, I think, man, we went through, the Chinooks went through an encyclopedia worth of names and yet you look back, and only about 28 guys had at bats, which that's about normal, I think, for a Northwoods League season. So not too bad from that standpoint. Overall, when you think Chinooks baseball, you know, this is a team that traditionally has been built on pitching and defense. And so you start looking at some of the offensive numbers, and, and annually the, the team batting average is near the bottom half of the Northwoods League, and 2012 was no exception. A team that finished tied for 12th when it came to hitting with a – collective 258 batting average but I think things that stand out to me is you know you go back to 2012 who are these guys I mean that was you know the day one who are these guys and a number of guys made names for themselves Ty Young one of the the first names that that rings a bell out of Louisville ended up being drafted by the Tampa Bay Rays in 2013 but he had one of the the better individual offensive performances at least to start the season and that came on June 9th in a game against the Wisconsin Rapids Raptors up at Witter Field, in which he went three for four, a, a rare multi-hit performance for a Snook at that point in the season. Had a home run with four RBIs, a couple of runs, hit by a pitch, but able to start the scoring in a, a game that would see the, the Snooks come through seven to two. And one of their, at least early season, better hitting performances, they had 17 hits. He had a solo home run in the ninth. And I bring up home runs because those are hard to come by in 2012. And we look at the history of the team, the first home run in team history did not come until June 5th of that year when it was Sam Koenig who was able to hit a solo home run in what was the first ever home victory for the Snooks that year over the Eau Claire Express. And, you know, a, a name that pops up on your notes quite a bit, and he pops up at, in the awards portion of the season as he was an all-star, he was a post-game all-star. That'd be Bray Kimball. You know, he went on some, a few different streaks throughout the course of the season but also had a lot of good performances. What do you remember best from Kimball's performance over at Capitol Park? Love watching Bray play, and it was sad to see him, you know, sport the Madison uniform a year later, but for Bray Kimball out of Louisiana Tech. One of the, his, you know, big performances came right from the get-go, too, on June 23rd that year against his future team, Madison, from the Duck Pond. He had a seven-RBI performance, and you look through throughout history, and now we'll talk as we go along. It's been passed since, but Seven is tied for a second for the Snooks for RBIs in the game. and He went three for five, scored a couple of times. He walked with strikeout. He had a three-run home run in the first tone in that 11-5 to Snook victory. But, man, he could do a lot. And you talked about a hitting streak. And he had a 24-game hit streak that year, which was tied for the longest that season in the Northwoods League. He also recorded the first multi-home run game in, in franchise history, which came against Wisconsin Rapids on June 29th. And, What's kind of unique about that multi-home run performance is the very next day, a guy by the name of Forrest Chadwick had a multi-home run performance, so it started to become contagious. And Forrest Chadwick, of course, was our inaugural season MVP that year. Uh, the guy who probably, I think, all around, in my opinion, was the best hitter. Uh, he might not have necessarily a game that stood up, but Aguilera was always just red hot at the plate in 2012. Well, it's funny you bring up Eric Aguilera because I would tell you Forrest Chadwick, Zach Granite, Eric Aguilera, all guys from the 2012 team that we look at their, their you know, game-by-game -game statistics, 
there wasn't maybe one or two games that stood out for any one of those three, but, you know, they just did what needed to get done. And then they came through more times than not with some quality at bats, clutch hits. Eric Aguilera ended up being the Capco Steel Slugger Award winner in that inaugural season. He had a team best 369 batting average, and uh, he came through and at one point had a uh, hitting streak of 21 straight on the road. I mean, he came through with a number of doubles that year, a, a record that still stands for doubles in a single season. He had 21. And, you know, I mentioned Forrest Chadwick. He ended up being the team MVP that year out of Southern Maine and was part of these Chinooks both in 2012 and 2013. And, man, he had some power in his bat. That ball would fly off his, his lumber at a team best 11 home runs. He also the first grand slam in, in team history, which was against the Wisconsin Woodchucks on June 20th. And, Eric, I won't talk much about that game because uh, – Ended up being a 15-11 loss in which the team gave up six runs in the ninth inning. It uh, was not a memorable night outside of that grand slam. But then you have Zach Granite. Of course, Granite would go on and be a Minnesota twin and would make his Major League Baseball debut on July 8th of 2017. There's a Zach Granite bobblehead from a couple of years back. But nice product out of Seton Hall. And, and you know, he was only with the team for, for 25 games. And maybe his numbers didn't jump out, again, off the stat sheet defensively though he was outstanding in the outfield his speed I mean he had team best 16 stolen bases and I think that's one of his biggest assets the way he could read the ball but also the way you go about you know stealing bases and I'm glad you brought up Zach Granite uh he kind of slipped my mind that he's part of, you know there were so many good hitters that year in 2012 he sometimes gets lost in the shuffle but yeah like you mentioned who would ever thought Zach Granite would be our first alumni in the MLB years ago only here for 25 games. Another guy only here for 25 games in 2012, and he made a heck of a debut at Capitol Park would be Brian Anderson of uh, Miami or Marlins now. Yeah, he might have and might still to this day have the best debut in, in franchise history. You can't top what he did back on July 6th of that season against the lacrosse loggers. He went three for five at his debut, but, but what stood out was, hey, the game's tied. Lacrosse tied the game, stole momentum, but tied the game in the top of the ninth inning, and all of a sudden, the loggers make a pitching change in the bottom of the ninth, and up comes Brian Anderson to lead things off. And the very first pitch he sees, see ya, over the left field fence, ball game over. Welcome to the Northwoods League for the Arkansas Razorback. But Brian Anderson, you're right. You know, he ended up playing only 25 games, but hit 290, had five home runs, 18 runs batted in, and uh, he made the most of his opportunity. It was definitely a heck of a debut. I think the last person to kind of chat about on 2012, I know him best from probably one of the best plays of all time at Capco Park, um, but that would be Charlie Markson. Before we get to his stellar game on July 4th, you probably remember it very good. And unfortunately, we don't have footage of it, but there was a foul ball hit towards the visitor bullpen, and Charlie Markson ran full speed towards that bullpen. Did not stop or let up in the slightest. Hit the fencing, flipped over grabbed it and came up with it. I still think to this date, probably top play defensively at Capitol Park. There's no question. And actually, it's kind of funny bringing that up because I was looking at some highlights that I have in my archives. And I think it was 2014 or 15, there was another right fielder. I got to double check who it was, but he flew over the home bullpen and made a catch. Not as impressive, but still pretty impressive. The fact he was able to hang out of the baseball, flipped over the fence. But Markson, you're right. I mean, you, you talk about a guy like, you know, Zach Granite known for his speed. Charlie Markson, same thing. And I think sometimes that's forgotten is just how fast of a guy he was. And, and, and he was right up there as far as stolen bases go. But he, too, could read the ball beautifully. And I can remember that catch you referenced going to the visiting bullpen. I mean, he never slowed down. I mean, it was full speed ahead. And you were just at that point hoping and praying he'd get back up. And he got up as though nothing happened. But he was the first, in my opinion, and, and I guess we can confirm or deny, but when you look at that 2012 roster, really the first local product to play for these Chinooks being from the Whitefish Bay area. And so I think just based on that alone, he was one of the, the early fan favorites and he had the hair. I mean, that, that certainly uh, was a trademark of Charlie Markson, but he had that game you mentioned July 4th and it was at Eau Claire at Carson Park. That's always a fun place for the 4th of July. They do a great job in that area. I mean, it's, it's a, a circus as far as people go in and around the ballpark for the, the festivities, but, he ended up going five or six in that game. And it was a game that would see the Snooks win 12 to four. And they had 12 runs on 19 hits. He had a four RBI performance and was a triple shy of the cycle. But the home run, I'll never forget. Because if you go beyond their left field fence, they have their football stadium for UW-Eau Claire, a number of the local high schools. And I mean, the ball he hit in the seventh inning was tattooed. I mean, it flew beyond the fence, 
off the uh, turf of the football stadium. I mean, it was one of the hardest hit balls I've ever seen outside of what we've seen at Capco Park. And that was, again, a statement game for Charlie Marks, who later would be drafted about a year later by the Brewers. And I think going back to your catch that you're referring to in 2014, I think it was Brett Sadal. Because it's in I one of our right. highlights videos, and I'm pretty sure your, your former co-host, Kevin Winter, was on the call during that part. Um, I believe it was Brett Sadal for that one. But you'll kind of hear us talk about it. I always refer to it as award season. We, we mentioned Eric Aguilera. You know, he was the Capital Steel Slugger Award winner, which is our own team award for the top hitter within the team each year. He also went on to be an all-star. That year was hosted in Madison. He was a postseason all-star. And each year he was a Rawlings Big Stick Award winner. So Rawlings hands out uh, defensive awards and hitting awards every year. So lacrosse loggers would go on to win that year um, in 2012. We would actually finish one game ahead of them in the 2013 season in the South Division standings and be the second half or first or second half South Division champs um, in our first playoff appearance in 2013. That was a fun 2013 season, and you bring up that year. And, again, hitting, again, you're the bottom. I mean, they're, they're ranked 13th with the Chinooks when it came to 258 average collectively, but their bats, at least down the stretch when they needed to come alive, especially in some must-win situations against like Madison in the regular season, the bats came alive in a big way, carried over at least early on in the postseason before – they kind of fizzle in the, the decisive third game against the Mallards. And we got off with a bang on our home opener in 2013, thanks to uh, Brandt Valick. I don't know if you remember much about this. This ended up being the season and home opener because the night before at Whitter Field, this is monsoon rains. The team erupted for something like five or six runs in the very first inning, and the rains came, and the game was suspended and, and finished about a week later. The next time the Schnooks went to Whitter Field, but the May 30th game ended up counting as the season slash home opener and another wild game. I mean, back and forth into being a 10-8 victory in 10 innings against Wisconsin Rapids. And what many probably don't remember about that game is, you know, I, I love Capitol Park because it rains and if there's a rain delay and the rain moves out quickly, the game resumes quickly. And in the bottom of the eighth inning with two outs, the rains came and ended up being a 19-minute rain delay from 9:13 to 9:32 that night. And then all of a sudden teams came back out of the field, play resumed and and Brent Ballot came up big. I mean, he was a Chinook for a couple of seasons, a Eastern Illinois Panther, and he had the walk-off two-run home run, 0-2 pitch, two outs, but over two for four performance for Brent Ballot. But talk about a statement win uh, to set the tone for what could be in 2013. And, again, his two-run walk-off home run, giving the Chinooks the 10-8 extra inning victory. And this is why you're a Chinook cyclopedia. I, I don't remember <laughs> opening day 2013 at all. I don't remember the rain delay or any of that. I, I was probably one of those guys on the business side who was just ready to see it be done and, and get the kinks out from day one and move on to game number two there. But um, a name that kind of popped up on your list that I kind of forgot about um, since we started doing some of these topics, Chris Manning. He had a, a couple of great games that really helped the, the team on those dates and throughout the course of the 2013 season. And what many may not remember about Chris Manning is the fact that, okay, the Valparaiso Crusader who played in the outfield at times was the team's leadoff hitter. And he came up big and did what leadoff hitters need to do. He found ways on base. And look at one of his performances from June 18th that year, a game at Green Bay, leadoff hitter, four hits, three RBIs. He had himself a double in a game that would see the team come through with seven doubles. Another game about a month later in July at Battle Creek, End up winning the game 10-7 in 12 innings from Seal Brown Stadium, which he had six RBIs going four of seven, a couple of doubles, had a, a home run, which was a three-run shot in the top of the 12th. But one game that stands out about Chris Manning came back on uh, June 5th of that season, 2013, against Eau Claire. And the game was at Camp Cove Park, ended up being a one nothing victory, a, one of those uh, lengthy ball games that went 14. And again, they're threatening the, the curfew that, you know, the game's going to be shut down if, if they don't get beyond this 14th inning. And then Chris Manning came up big in a game that featured a combined 25 strikeouts. Manning came through with a two-out walk-off RBI single and a thrilling one nothing 14-inning game against the Express. And I think although our topic is uh, top paying performances, there's one guy from the 2013 roster who probably was more known for his defensive play, but you can't skip talking about him. That'd be Sawyer Poland. I mean, a record-breaking 73 games played in 2013. I don't think that'll ever be broken. You know, shortstop, he could fill in basically anywhere. The man would not take a day off. Um, he was an all-star that season. He would come back in 2014, but 
the effort put in by Sawyer Pullen in 2013, I don't think will ever be matched that gap. No, I and mean, you talked about it. You probably know him best for his defense. But, again, he was one of those solid guys, though, too, that you could count on for a big hit here and there and end up hitting roughly number two in that batting order for uh, then first-year field manager Eddie Morgan. And for Sawyer Pullen, he had a game against the, the Rochester Hawkers. That's back when they still would have you play a couple of teams from the other division. And Rochester came to town, a game on July 31st, in which Sawyer Pullen four RBIs, a home run. He had a double as well at a – it's Sawyer Pullen. But you go back to the regular season finale, too, and talking about a must-win game to get into the postseason and set up another date with Madison. He came up big. There was a game at Madison that, in that regular season finale, which he had a five-RBI performance. The team smashed the Ducks, knocked off the Mallards 17-3. to But, um, again, he had some nice performances, but he also had a team-best 20 stolen bases. So he found a way on. More times than not, he found a way around, and it was just a matter of getting that timely hit because, again, he was always in Boston and kept pitching and defenses on their feet. And that 2013 roster, I mean, you talk about the names that we've covered already, but two guys, I mean, it, it, they were stacked from top to bottom. Two guys whose careers have kind of been on similar paths since they were with Chinooks in 2013. They both go on to be drafted in 2015 and debuted in the MLB within three days of each other. That would be Harrison Bader who's center fielder for the Cardinals, who will have a bobblehead this coming summer, hopefully. And Andrew Stevenson, who is now a World Series champion with the Washington Nationals. But, you know, they were – Stevens here was a good amount of time. Bader not as long, but, boy, were those two fun to watch at the plate in 2013. No, you look at a guy like Harrison Bader, and, again, you look at his game-by-game logs, and nothing jumps out as, as, you know, monster performances, but he was good for a hit or two almost every game. And of the 20 games he played, he had hits in 13 of which – Ended up hitting about 290 that year. Did the uh, former Florida Gator. And you look at a guy like Andrew Stevenson at LSU, and, you know, he ended up being the Capco Steel Slugger Award winner. But he had some nice games, too. And ended the year with four consecutive multi-hit performances, five of the last six games. He had multi-hit showings. Hit a team-best 345 that year with a couple of home runs and 14 runs batted in. But one of the games that stands out for me when, you know, referencing Andrew Stevenson was – in the playoffs, he had a big game against the Madison Mallards. That, that first game, I mean, you talk about the highs of the high, 15 nothing whooping, and you're thinking, boy, this is going to be a clean sweep of Madison. And he went three for six at a triple at four RBIs. And again, that was uh, the tone setter for the postseason. Little did we know that, you know, that was pretty much what was left of the offense for the next two days. And then, if I correct me if I'm wrong, we, we put a pretty good whooping on Madison the night before to get into the playoffs, right? Yeah, 17-3. So the funny thing about, you know, you have Bader on that roster, you have Stevenson on that roster. Neither one of them ended up being all-stars. That year we were represented by Poland, who we mentioned, Ryan Krill, Mr. Chinook, who was with us for three years from 2012 to 2014, and Mike Hollenbeck, who ended up being our MVP. And, and Mike was probably the most consistent guy, I would say, throughout the season, which probably helped earn him the MVP title that year. Yeah, and, of course, he'd come back to the Chinooks a few years later in a coaching capacity. But uh, you look at Mike Hollenbeck, and as you mentioned, the team MVP, he was second on the team with a, a 3-14 average. And you're right, consistency is probably a great word to put next to his name when you look at uh, his stat lines on a regular basis. But but Hollenbeck, he had some nice games. He had one on, on June 21st that year against Madison, in which he went 4-4 four for four with a couple of ribbies, but also with a two-run home run in the second and a double in that game. And, even in the playoff game against Madison, that first game against the Mallards, he would go two for four with a couple of doubles. He had four RBIs. He scored it three times. He had two four RBI games on the season. But, again, he just did so much. And, and not only from an offensive standpoint, but even defensively, he was so strong uh, behind the dish. But, but Mike Hollenbeck, that product of Illinois State, you're right. He was the team MVP because he did a little bit of this and that and, and did everything he could to, to put the team in a position to win. Unfortunately, he wasn't with us with the final game of the season at the night prior in Madison. Uh, wasn't seeing eye-to-eye with the umps, and his catching helmet mask decided to be tossed in a certain direction. I was standing right next to some of the league officials, and right away one leaned over and goes, well, there's a one-game suspension for you. So, fortunately, we played without our MVP that final game of the year. May, might have been a difference maker, might have not been. Um, but like you mentioned, Mike came back and, and helped coach the team a few years later. Let's head to 2014. 15 and 21, your world champions of the Northwoods League, Lakeshore Chinooks. Just, and 
an incredibly impressive performance from start to finish the entire year with Eddie Morgan's team. Uh, first name that stands out to me is the guy who caught the final out um, of the North League Championship, Brett Sadal. He's our team MVP. Another guy I had in an award season. He was an all uh, an All American for perfect game, um, All Star, postseason All Star, home run derby champ individually that day that year when we hosted at Capitol Park. We had a new format which was North and South, but Brett Sadal was the decision maker in that. And man, he has had a memorable list of games in 2014 as our team. And remember, even in 2014, this is still an offense. It's probably middle of the pack when you look at numbers in the Northwoods League. But, again, built on pitching and defense, but you had so many guys. I mean, I think 2014, you and I could do a podcast simply on that team and just simply on the offense because that was a who's who lineup. You had guys that, that would be leadoff hitters or cleanup hitters on any other roster that are batting eighth or ninth in this particular order. And look at Brett all or – or Brett Sill. I don't think we ever did find out how to say his last name because he was so nice and never wanted to correct anybody. So we all went with Siddall, but his dad goes by Siddle. So it is what it is. But Brett Siddall to Chinook fans. And you look, July 3rd of that year, uh, he had a game at Battle Creek in which he went three for three and had a two-run home run in the seventh. Uh, four RBI showing in which the team erupted for 14 runs on 18 hits. He had three, four RBI performances on the year. But even going before that, how about Father's Day? I mean, there's been some memorable Father's Day moments in Chinook's history, and in that particular year against lacrosse, it seems like lacrosse was the victim of a number of walk-off Chinook victories, at least early on in the team history. So it all came through, lead-off, walk-off, solo home run on a 1-0 pitch to knock off the loggers by what is also a familiar score in Chinook history, 5-4. to four. And So that was June 15th of that year. And he also had a game July 19th in which he – he had a grand slam home run of the second at lacrosse. You can never score enough runs against the loggers in that ballpark. And so that grand slam came up big. It ended up being a, a rare route for the Snooks over the loggers that season. He had another game in which he ended up being uh, three for four against Wisconsin Rapids. That came on July 27th. He had a solo home run. He was one of four Snook players that had home runs in that particular game. And I mean, the list goes on and on, but, but those are some of the, the more, you know, stronger individual showings that Siddall had. But it seemed like every game he came through with either a big catch or he came through with a, a timely hit. And he was an outstanding player. And, it, again, it was no question that he was the team MVP. But, but certainly a couple other guys could have been in that conversation. And before we get to that, now the Father's Day 2014 – is that the famous rally deer game? It's funny you say that because it is. It, and and I, I just so happened to see footage of this uh, the other day when I was going through the archives. And there's actual footage of, of one of the Chinook players in the dugout who turned one of his bats or old bats into like a fake wooden gun. And, and there's video of him like aiming the gun toward the outfield from that first base dugout. And sure enough, there's the, the rally deer right before the uh, start of that ninth inning or bottom of the ninth inning. And, and as the rally deer starts to go off on its way beyond uh, uh, center field or beyond the area out there, here came the one old pitch and the, the walk-off home run. And you mentioned the, the strong um, cast of supporting characters that year, one of them being a member of the Washington Na Nationals 40-man roster right now, Jake Knoll from Florida Gulf Coast. Now, funny story about uh, Jake Knoll. Uh, former GM Dean Rennick, he was on vacation in Florida with his family. He stopped by the university, and he came back. And he raved about this kid named Jake Knoll. He reached out to Florida Gulf Coast. And that's how we kind of got him. And, and Dean was persistent from that day that Knoll was going to be um, a big leaguer. And sure enough, he got called up last year with the Washington Nationals. Saw a little action there. But in 2014, you know, not necessarily a game that – a number of games that really stand out, but just consistent all the way through with a 316 batting average, which earned him the capital steel slugger. Um, but Knoll, you know – Whenever you were in a clutch or in a pinch, man, he was he was the guy to help break through it and, and turn games into wins. Yeah, you know, there's a few guys like that on the, on the 2014 team. And uh, I think Brent Ballack, again, is another name that, that comes up when you, when you factor, you know, not a, any one standout game per se, but just a number of, of uh, big hits. Same thing with a guy like Michael Mormon out of Richmond, Kyle Wood, Mitch Gelfie. But you talk about Jake Noel. You look at that that 2014 season, at one point he had a 23-game hit streak. He ended up having a game against Green Bay that year, which he went four for five with four RBIs, one of his uh, two four-RBI performances. 
kind of hit four home runs. He had five triples at Capco Park, which, of course, is a, a triple friendly, or at least built more friendly toward triples than maybe home runs, and, and Jake Knoll took advantage. He also was second on the team in stolen bases, but I think one of the hits that stands out to me, because I'm not sure we've seen it since, is the fact he was able to hit an inside-the-park home run at Capco Park that year against Battle Creek on uh, June 24th of 2014. I didn't know we even had an in-the-park home run, so that's <laughs> there you uh, go. <laughs> breaking news to me right there. Another individual um, who really broke through in 2014 uh, was our infielder, Blake Butler, helped us win the first half. I think that June 30th game was a memorable one, and the day before. I mean, the end of June was very kind for Blake Butler. Yeah, he had a great wrap-up to the month of June, and you mentioned June 29th, and he ended up having a seven-RBI performance against, guess who? The same team that Bray Kimball did it against, against Madison on that June 29th date, and then he decided to add a few more RBIs the very next day. So you talk against Madison, but June 30th game, and I've told you this in other podcasts, at least for me, outside of the, the you know, Summer Collegiate World Series uh, championship winning game against Mankato, this might be my, my all-time, you know, top game. So many things happened in, in this particular day, and you had the, the day-night home-and-home doubleheader, of course, game two at Kenosha, like it seemed like always was rained out, washed out. Never was uh, uh, made up. But on June 30th at Capco Park, fighting for their playoff live, need some help too, potentially. If they don't take care of business, it's not a guarantee that they're in based on winning the first half. But uh, at one point during this game against Kenosha, I think I've, t- I've told you this in the past, we picked up, I think it was Madison Lacrosse, and it was between the Chinooks and, and Lacrosse for that, that title. We started doing play-by-play of that game while also watching the Chinook-Kenosha game. So we're doing two games at once. And that game ends up ending, and uh, the, the, the result the Snooks needed happened. So the Snooks, without even knowing their own fate, or at least knowing what was going to happen in this game, knew they had won the first half, or at least we knew they had won the first half South Division title. But just for good measure, Blake Butler, he would tie the game with a two-run home run of the seventh against Kenosha. And then in the 12th inning, first pitch he sees was one out, walk-off home run to the 12th. And I can remember at one point he came up to the point, and I said, boy, it'd be great to see him. You know, he tied the game. How about a walk-off home run to win it? And sure enough, you know, I'll take credit for it. In all reality, I had nothing to do with it. But a nice walk-off home run of the 12th. Next thing you know, it was, as I call it, an exclamation point to what was a first-half South Division championship for the Snooks. But just a game of so many emotions. And, again, you're taking on a Kenosha team that, again, in 2014, they were in their expansion season. They had the Snooks number, and it was they were so close to playing the Snooks in the playoffs. I'm not sure what would have happened if that would have occurred. Luckily, it didn't, but the Chinooks had their issues with the Kingfish, and so this is one of the rare victories over Kenosha that 2014 season. And I don't think the Chinooks secure a Northwoods League championship without talking about this gentleman. He was referred to around the office as Mr. August, Mr. Playoffs. <laughs> Where, I mean, his name appears basically every playoff game in a major way, uh, and, and I don't know how he turned down the month of August, where that flip switched, but I'm glad it did, and that would be Zach Bowers of Georgia. You're right. If the Chinooks ever come out with, like, a calendar of some kind, like with their schedule on it, they give out a promotion. No question, Zach Bowers better be the, the picture for the month of August because you're right. You look at his season, he was about a 265 hitter. I mean, maybe yes, maybe no. In the playoffs, he had seven of the team's 18 RBIs. And, and besides that, it was the, the, the type of hits he had or, or timeliness of, of some of the hits he had. And you go to the, the first game at Wisconsin. Remember, that game got pushed back. It was raining. It was miserable. Horrible night up in Wausau. Yay. Game did happen. The team was sitting on the bus for the longest time, just sitting around waiting for any news. Game does happen. It's 4-4 entering the ninth. And and at one point, Brett Siddall comes through with an RBI single. He's 5-4 Chinooks. And you're still thinking, in that ballpark, one run is not enough. Well, with two outs, first pitch. Zach Bowers, the base loaded. It's a grand slam over their double-decker fence out in left field. And I think it was the one time I almost got kicked out of a press box because, I, again, I, I, I lost it. I, I went nuts on the call. I mean, it was, it was a big home run because, in my opinion, that doesn't happen. I'm not saying the Woodchucks come back and win that first game, but let's say the Woodchucks do. They might win that series. I mean, that was not only a, a big grand slam in sense that won game one, but I essentially think it, it carried over into game two and it ended up giving the Schnooks that – that South Divisional Championship Series sweep. And he came back the next day and came up big again. 1-1 tie in the 10th. Walk-off RBI single scoring Kyle Wood on a 2-1 pitch with, with two outs. And in case he wasn't done, 
Then you look at game one of the, of the Northwoods League Championship Series. And remember, there was a day off in between the game two and game one for the Chinooks between those two series. They went to Mankato, not knowing if they were going to play Wilmer or Mankato. By the luck of the draw, they were already in Mankato. Mankato took care of business. And then they ended up playing each other on August 14th in game one, a wild game. Chinooks won five to four and 13. And he came through with a double and a couple of RBIs in that game, too, that, you know, can help set the tone of what was a, a back-and-forth battle. But uh, you're right, Zach Bowers just, I mean, he came up in the clutch more times than not in the uh, postseason. But what a, what a stretch. And I think he was the Northwoods League player of the night all three of those days. And that would lead us to the 2015, the, the first time in two years that we did not make the playoffs, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, the man that kind of led the way that year, he'd be our team MVP. Again, he'd be an all-star, post-game all-star, uh, perfect game All-American, only guy to hit four home runs in one game for the Chinooks, which he did in Kalamazoo, which we'll talk about. And that'd be Lucas Raley, still, um, still in the minors right now. I definitely think he's one of those names that I think you'll see crack through in the bigs, hopefully in the next year or two. Just a great at-bat, great individual. Um, he was a lot of fun to watch in 2015. Yeah, I think there's a lot of question marks as to what you're going to get from Lucas Raley, too, because, again, you get guys from Florida, LSU, you know, a number of big names that have come out of Michigan State or Richmond as far as the, the Snooks go. But here's a guy at Lake Erie that came out and really, again, made a name for himself. And, and you look, he had 314 that year, and uh, team best – Still a team record for home runs in a single season of 14. Still a single season team record with 55 RBIs. You know, he wasn't always just about power and coming through with hits too. He found ways on base. Had a, a team record of 14 hit by pitchers that season. But so many games stand out. And he had so many, you know, perfect performances. He had a four for four game that was shortened by fog against the lacrosse loggers early that season. But, you know, let, let's skip ahead to that four home run game you talked about. And that was on the 4th of July against the Kalamazoo Growlers and 18 times in Northwoods League history a guy has had a three home run performance never except now and only this as a guy hit four home runs in a single game and Lucas Raley he went four for five it's a 17 game mind you against Kalamazoo a route of the Growlers 16 to two and he went four for five with a franchise record eight RBIs in the game he scored four times but you look at his home runs he had a solo shot in the first Solo shot in the third, three-run home run in the fifth, and just for good measure, one more at bat, another three-run shot in the sixth, which, you know, I was looking at that going, you're Kalamazoo. What, what, what are you pitching to him for? I mean, at that, yeah. that point, I, I get the score is lopsided and maybe it doesn't matter, but what do you – I mean, he's already hit three home runs, and there's two guys on base. I mean, I'd, I'd give up a run. if it, it, I don't know if it obviously wasn't a base-loaded situation, so you have a base open somewhere. So just walk the guy, for goodness sake. That's a very good point. I never even thought about that. Yeah, but uh, definitely on my short list of bobbleheads to make is Lucas Raley <laughs> honoring his four home runs. You know, a name that doesn't really come up in conversation much anymore from the 2015 season. Uh, he was our Capital Steel Slugger Award winner. He appeared in 50-some games, uh, highest batting average on the team. And he just kind of did things quietly, I think, and that'd be Anthony Masici. I loved Anthony Masici. He's, he's certainly in the category for me, like a Matthew Micah. Uh, Jack Dunn, just, you know, smaller guy, speed, just, you know, played the game the way it's supposed to be played. And Anthony Masici, you're right. And he, he was a guy, too, that easily could have been the leadoff hitter at times. He was all over that batting order, but he was also at the bottom of the order, which tells you about the, the depth that this 2015 team has as well. And he could, you know, turn that lineup over on a high. And he had a game on June 22nd against the Wisconsin Rapids, which he was the number nine hitter out of, out of Canisius, was Anthony Masici. And, he went four for five with three RBIs, scored a couple of times with a couple of uh, doubles in a game that would see the Snooks up nine to one after three and punted out 20 hits. But but you're right, you know, you look up and down, he had team best, you mentioned 333 average, of three home runs, 22 RBIs. Not, a, not any, you know, one or two monster performances, but he, again, when they needed a big hit, if he was up, more times than not, you can count on him coming through in the clutch. And he was a Canisius product, which is also where Brett Sadal went. So, yep. you know, obviously, their university, we had high expectations for who they were going to send us after Sadal's great performance. As we kind of wrap things up on 2015, any other players from that season uh, that really kind of stood out or had performances that stick in your memory to this day? 
you know, a couple of other names that come to my mind that we really haven't talked a lot about, but again, you can look up and down his, his numbers and, and he came up big was Kyle Wood, a uh, product from Purdue. Certainly, you know, a favorite name around these parts is Zarlie Zaleski out of Kent State. He had some, some nice performances. Greg Dykeman from that team out of LSU had some, some nice performances. He had a five home run season. And then you look at 2015, certainly a guy like Jake Romano and, and Doug Krager. Again, names that come to mind, but maybe didn't have the numbers to, to back up, but they've had some nice performances in their time with the Snooks. Greg Dykeman, a, a very passionate player. I always joked if an at-bat didn't go very good, you could hear the words coming out of his mouth from across the ballpark, <laughs> and they weren't always the cleanest for Joey's. But another individual that is still holding strong in the minors, very close to making it to the big leagues. Um, so that kind of wraps up the first four seasons. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back here with seasons 2016 through 2019. Top hitting performances of Lakeshore Chinooks. We'll be right back. Back here on the Nook Nation podcast and the Chinook Social Network, we are talking top hitting performances in Chinooks history. I'm Eric Snyder, joined by the voice of the Chinooks. Matt Menzel. We had to 2016, a playoff year for the Chinooks, but it was a quick in-and-out appearance for the Lakeshore Chinooks. We squeezed just into the playoffs at the end of the season with a record of 35-37. and 37. So a losing record, still got us in the playoffs. We just beat out the Rivets that year. Uh, Matt, you'll kind of probably allude to it, but not the most memorable year um, for the Lakeshore Chinooks in 2016 at the plate. No one to go by stats. They hit 240 as a team. 18th and dead last in the league and and you know I was putting together okay some top individual hitting performances and, and Eric it, it's hard because you had some so many guys that, that had moments but nobody that really jumped off the page as as being you know the go-to offensive threat or the guy that that would come up more times than not you said a, a collection of guys that that you would would have a you know three three home runs or four home runs five home runs whatever it, it was it was bunched together, but nobody you know stood out from from that pack. And I, the one name maybe you can make an argument for is Matt Johnson, especially early. Maybe not toward the end of his time with the Snooks, but at least early on, he jumped out of the gate and was known for for hitting home runs and had a big grand slam against Kenosha in Game One of a doubleheader back on June twentieth. But the product from South Dakota State that year, the team best. He hit team best, eight home runs, a team best. 32 runs batted in, which you look up and down. I mean, those are some low totals compared to, you know, some of the other numbers from throughout the franchise's history. But that's the kind of year it was. It wasn't that that, that one guy was just a collection of players that, that did a little bit of this and that. I'm glad you brought up Matt Johnson because I was going to refer to his appearance in the Northwoods League All-Star Game Home Run Derby that year. Did you attend the Derby in Kenosha? I did not. So for those that have never been to beautiful Kenosha, my hometown, the Kingfish decided to get a little creative with the Derby that year, and they hosted it on a pier um, in the harbor of Lake Michigan down at Kenosha. And when I heard this, I knew immediately where they were thinking of doing it. It's a small pier. It's literally cracked down the middle. Like, they haven't fixed it in 20, 30 years. And I told Matt, I was like, be prepared for a very unusual Derby. And I think he thought it was just, you know, a giant pier, you know, when you walk out far, I mean, this thing is maybe 20, 30 feet long, probably 30 feet. So here you have someone tossing BP for these guys and they're hitting into the harbor. And it just was a very odd setup. It was, it was creative. It was unique. Fans loved it. But boy, when Matt got back from hitting from that, he was not a happy camper. It was a very challenging <laughs> home run derby. And it has not been done since. Uh, another name that I think we should cover in 2016, Weather Capital Steel Slugger. Again, another guy like Anthony Masici, who doesn't get come up in a lot of conversations when you talk about Chinook's history, uh, but that would be Matt Reardon, Florida Gulf Coast, another good hitter that was produced from that program, and he led the team in batting average that year. And, again, another one that, you know, over-the-top performances, just kind of did his thing and, and got his numbers up throughout the course of the season. Well, at one point he had a 14- or 15-game hit streak, which is among the, the best for a Chinook that season. But you're right. You look at that list, though, from 2016, and He's right there with Tim Del Porto, Owen Miller, at least the first season for Owen Miller with, his, with the Chinooks, Joe Duncan, Darius Sewell, Royce Ando, Zach Taylor, 
Hayden Singer, who was a, a solid catcher. Kevin Riley, a community college product, who put up some, some respectable totals. All these guys, though, were, again, anywhere between, I don't know, 241 and 278 when it came to a batting average, all at about the same home run and RBI total. So, again, nobody, you know, separated themselves from the rest of the grouping. What's kind of unique, though, about some of those names I just mentioned is the fact that a number of them came back for a second year. And let's lead into 2017. And, man, if you look at this list, you know, we made the playoffs. And when you look at this roster, you think, man, how did these guys not win a Northwoods League championship? We were stacked at the plate that year. Um, let's start with two guys, our Central Florida duo. One of them being our Capco Steel Slugger, Matthew Micah, who went on to be a, a big stick award winner, all-star game appearance, postseason all-star game. And then Rylan Thomas, um, who is currently in the Reds organization, he was our MVP. Boy, those two, one brought power, one brought speed. I mean, they had it all. In 2017, we look at, again, numbers, best batting average for the team. It was 276, second best in the Northwood League behind Wisconsin Rapids at 283. You mentioned Matthew Micah. I loved his defense. He was like a Joe Greenfield. He was loosey-goosey, but when he needed to turn it on, when it was time to play ball, he could turn it on. He could turn. He could flip that switch and, and get in that game mode and mindset. And At the plate, he had a game against Fond du Lac that year in July in which he ended up hitting a home run. He had a double. He had a, the home run he hit in that game was a, a grand slam. This team was known for hitting the grand slam, too. I don't know what it was, but it seemed like the bases were loaded. You knew a grand slam wasn't far behind. It didn't matter who was coming to the plate. But uh, you're right, Matthew Micah hit 335 that year. His speed, I mean, his quickness, team best, still a team record for stolen bases in the year at 27. You mentioned Ryland Thomas, and it seems like every Chinook team has had a couple of guys that, and we'll talk about it with 2019 with Griffin Dorsing, but you, you just, a guy would come to the plate and you just thought be a home run was, was in the in the plate. He could hit the long ball and he had a number of big games. And at one point uh, you look at Ryland Thomas, he had a, a game on June 21st against Battle Creek in which he had a two run home run in the seventh. It was part of a, a five RBI performance. But Ryland Thomas, he also came up with uh, some big games in August when the team was was pushing to get back into the postseason. It was a year in which he hit 314, a team best, 10 home runs, 51 runs batted in. But, again, you look up and down a number of three, four RBI performances in the month of August for Ryland Thomas. And both of those guys, Central Florida is really itching for them to come back a little earlier. They convinced the university to let them stay. Thankfully, they drove together, so one couldn't leave without the other. Um, but they are here till the end. You know, Micah, what a fun player to watch. I mean, the man would not sit still on the base pads. He must have drove pitchers nuts because he was constantly leading off and then going back to, I mean, just a great, great job on the bags. Um, Ryan Thomas, you mentioned his power. Another guy who kind of had a short-lived season with us in 2016, but just a ton of power. Another local product, that'd be Zach Bierman. And full disclosure, his mom is my son's first grade teacher. So, you know, when it comes to Beerman, I'm a big fan. And, uh, you know, and you look at Zach, and boy, I wish the season wasn't cut short because he only played in a 12 games. But, man, he made the most of those 12 games. He had 370, four home runs, 17 RBIs. And he had a nice series against Madison to start the year, in which June 1st, he had a game in which he had seven RBIs. Guess what? Madison, seven RBIs. It's a reoccurring theme. But uh, it was a game in which – he had two home runs. He was a single side of the cycle. He'd come back the next day at Thug Pond and hit a grand slam. So an 11 RBI, two-game series against Madison and Zach Bierman out of Polk State. He's now with the Houston Astros organization. He's got drafted in the 23rd round this past, uh, this past year. So looking forward to seeing what Zach Bierman can do at the pro level. But, boy, he had a cup of coffee with the Chinooks, and I would love to see what it would have been like if he would have had a whole feast because – that was the theme of 2017, though. You mentioned some of the guys that were able to stay longer. There are a number of guys that weren't so fortunate that were saw their seasons cut short, and another guy is Nick Gatewood, who only played 48 games. And what would have happened if you would have been able to play 70-plus or at least 60-plus? Uh, that team might have gone a little bit further than they did. Uh, they certainly had the makeup, like you said, uh, to be a Northwood League champion, but so many talented guys. Owen Miller, another guy, only 13 games. and We'll talk about him in a minute. But some of these guys just had, you know, limits to how long they could stay or for one reason or another. And it would have been interesting to see if they all could stay together for, you know, a longer period of time. 
what the team would have looked like come uh, postseason time. And another name um, that you didn't mention, Jacob Richardson. All-star, postseason all-star. He was at the Wausau All-Star Game in 2017 with Nick Gatewood. Funny story there. I took him to as many Gander Mountains as we could find in the Wausau <laughs> area. They were big fans of Gander Mountain. Um, but both great individuals did a great job that year. Let's talk about Owen Miller because outside of Lucas Raley's four home runs in one game, I think the top hitting performance of all time, that honor's got to go to Owen Miller for what he accomplished in early July of 2017. And remember, too, this is his second year with the Chinooks. And, okay, the first year hit about 264 in limited time. The second year, you know, he made his debut. All of a sudden, July 3rd, it's only a second game and a second stint with the Chinooks. So he came on in July and he only lasted 13 games with the team. But, man, he made the most. Again, another guy that, that, that was only here for a couple of weeks but, but made the most in July 3rd. At Kalamazoo, ended up being a 16-8 victory against the Growlers. He goes five for five, four RBIs, scores three times. He had a single in the second. He had a three-run home run in the third, single in the fifth. He has a double in the sixth, so now he's missing the triple. Gets a sack fly in the seventh. He gets an opportunity to bat in the ninth. Now, if this is a home game, that doesn't happen. It's in Kalamazoo, top of the ninth inning, two outs, delivers the triple has himself the first cycle in Snook history. That's great. And then fast forward two more days, July 5th, back at home, Rockford the opponent. Again, a lopsided affair, a 21-6 whooping of the Rockford Rivets. Again, he goes five for five. This time he has five RBIs, scores four times. And again, it all saw the Snooks turn their first triple play. Gets a double in the first, single in the third, single in the fifth. It's a two-run shot in the seventh. So now he's, again, a triple away from the cycle. Gets the bat in the eighth, and he walks. Right at the get-go, he walks. And, and it's one of those where, you know, some of the boobers from the fans that were still there, because kind of, no, no, nobody wants to see a walk. They want to see the, the triple. They want to see him do this. Little did we know the eighth inning would be a productive inning for the Schnooks. They bat around the order. He gets the bat again. Two outs again. Final opportunity. Delivers a triple. And you and I have talked about this in the past. You could see it when he left the batter's box. It didn't matter if that ball was, you know, hit right to one of the outfielders. He was not stopping until he made his way toward third. He could have been out by a mile, but he was going to try for it. And he uh, ended up getting the third base safely. And it was uh, just one of those moments that you couldn't believe. Okay, it's happened once, but twice by the same player in a three-day stretch. I looked it up. Northwoods League history, it's been 12 times if someone's hit for the cycle. He's the only player who's done it twice alone in a three-day stretch. And the Chinooks have been involved in the last three because had Anthony Gallison of Wisconsin Rapids went for the cycle this season to wrap up the year at Capco Park. And, you know, you mentioned how he's the only player to do it twice in Northwoods League history. I think if you looked into minor league and major league history, I don't think you probably could find someone that had done it two times in three days. And, again, we talked about how we were kind of hoping for some media coverage on it. And, no, you know, we sent stuff to ESPN and – local news and no one picked up on it and it was a shame because I mean it's a feat that will probably hardly be, ever be done in the history of baseball. No and, I, and again I, I'd venture to guess at least the Northwoods League maybe even the big leagues it's not going to happen again I mean so many things had to happen for Owen Miller kind of like with, with Lucas Rayleigh so many things had to fall into place and it so happened those two games were lopsided affairs number of bat opportunities he went five for five in both games and again the triple is what he needed in both instances at the end, and he just so happened in his final plate appearances with two outs in both of those innings, he ended up coming through, and, and again, he was determined to get that triple and, and came up big, but so many things that have fallen in place perfectly for that uh, historical moment. Well, after two seasons of making it to the Northwoods League playoffs, the Travis Acre era got underway after Eddie Morgan decided to call the quits as field manager with 2018. Unfortunately, not a return to the playoffs. Uh, like you kind of alluded to earlier, um, this this team kind of burned out in the second half. You know, it was, a, it was a 500 ball club in the first half of the season. Not the greatest second half as the team went 13 and 23. Uh, but when you kind of talk about 2018, uh, before we kind of hit the numbers of the offense of that year, boy, one name that stands out that his name was everywhere, again, an award season for him, and that'd be Jack Dunn. Yeah, and Jack Dunn on Northwestern was part of the team in 2017 as well, but really made a name for himself in 2018. Again, with his defense, hit 316, was a Capco Steel Slugger Award winner. He was one of the guys that 
you know, was a bright spot for that team that, you know, kind of fizzles the season, wore on, and it was an offense that ended up finishing second to the bottom, uh, 236 average, which if memory serves me, that's the, the worst team batting average in a season for the Chinooks. But again, some bright spots, a guy that, that you probably won't talk a lot about, Griffin Day, was a guy that hit well over 300. DJ Lee at times came up big. I wasn't a fan of his defense. He lost the ball more than anybody else I knew. But but from an offensive standpoint, he had some speed. And I later found out, I think, part of the issue, and some guys have this adjustment and have to make this adjustment, is the lighting at Capco Park at times can be tough, especially the way the sun sets too. It's, you know, that sun, uh, especially in the outfield, that can be an adjustment. And I know Richmond with DJ Lee played a lot of day games, so uh, that was an issue. But as far as his offense goes, uh, he at times came up with some big hits. But, again, this was a team that, like, you know, 2016, not a bunch of names jumped off the sheet. You had a couple of nice performances here and there, but nothing really to write home about. Yeah, and, you know, like I kind of mentioned, Jack Dunn, I think, was the one bright spot there for the most part. Um, All-Star game invitation ended up being the All-Star game MVP. But if you look back at his numbers in the All-Star game, it wasn't anything over the top. It was just – it was a low offensive game. He got the game when he hit. Of course, you know, it was the one inning I decided I wasn't going to watch the game. I was going to mix and mingle with other um, gentlemen from other affiliates. Completely missed the home run. Um, but he was our first All-Star game MVP that year. He'd go on to be a postseason All-Star for the Northwoods League. Um, a Rawlings Big Sick Award winner. Another name that I think doesn't get enough recognition, though, that year um, for his efforts is Dallas Beaver. Love Dallas Beaver. Great name. Team MVP out of Central Florida again. And one of his big games came on July 19th that year. It was game two at Rock for another tough place for the Snooks to get results. And ended up being a 7-2 to win in seven. And he went four for four. Two RBIs scored. But here's what jumps out. His four hits were all doubles. And again, they would see the team record six doubles. That was the year in which he hit 302. He had four home runs. And that was time for the team lead that year with a guy named Cole Turney, he also had a team best of uh, 30 RBIs. But, but, yeah, you're right, Dallas Beaver, he was a bright spot for a team that, you know, a couple of names that also I, I wrote down, Alex Stevenson, you know, not a ton of opportunities. He was a, a dual threat of pitcher and outfielder, but when he got the opportunity to bat, he hit about 319. Connor Kimple, he was part of the team in both 2017 and 18. And another guy that didn't hit the ball, you know, a ton, about a 265 hitter or so, but he had a five RBI game against. Madison that was on August 3rd of that year so again they're not a, again a ton of names that, that jump off the sheet but again you had some bright spots and Connor Kimball I, I kind of look at him as being very similar to a Zach Bierman you know same build I think they both had that power and there were a few games where Kimball showed that power especially like the one on August 3rd um, with his five RBIs but again another guy that you know he had a few bright spots here and there and he showed that power but just wasn't able to consistently put it together all season you bring up a good point. So many guys have been like that, though, with the Schnooks team. And, you know, you bring up Connor Campbell. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go backwards a little bit because, you know, we talked about in our first segment, the 2013 team. There's another team that had guys like Mike Pappy and Aaron Maspitz. I mean, the guys that were built, I mean, and so many players have come through the Schnooks that are built like home run hitters. Those guys certainly were. Uh, Connor Campbell certainly had that build. And it, it would be great. We saw a small sample size of those guys and what they could do. It, it would be to me, interesting to see at least the Northwoods lead their first opportunity to play an extended season, what kind of numbers they could produce. And you see a lot of college baseball. You know, you spend a lot of time with the Concordia Falcons, following all our, all our guys and their stats. Do you think a lot of it is just chalked up to going from an aluminum bat to the wood bat over the summer? I think there's a lot to do with that. Uh, you hear guys, you know, bring that up quite a bit, especially those that are, you know, around long enough, not just temp contracted players, but those guys that are around long enough that there is an adjustment period. You're trying to find the sweet spot in that, that lumber. And not to mention, I, I think the pitching's better. And especially early in the season, now it starts to fade a little bit as guys. Your spots for the innocence, but the pitching's better. And so that's an adjustment too. And, and getting used to the different strike zones that, that can be at times inconsistent. So there's a lot to, to do with it, but, but certainly that's an adjustment going from the, the aluminum to the lumber. Well, unfortunately, our playoff drought would continue into this past season, the summer of 19. Uh, but again, you know, I don't always think the record is a valid representation of some of the hitters on this team. And there were a number of guys on this past year's squad that great talent at the plate. 
Yeah, you look at this 2019 team, and at least offensively, I, you and I have talked about this in the past. It was a season in which it just never felt like everything came together. There were some great offensive nights, some poor offensive nights. There were some great pitching nights, some you know great defensive nights. But it never seemed like everything came together for the perfect performance outside of maybe one or two games, some routes against the Fond du Lac, for instance. But uh, there were certainly up and down this 2019 roster. You have a Jake Thompson. Early on, Cameron Hart. Cole Barr, who was, you know, I think sometimes he gets overshadowed by a Griffin Dorsing, but yet those two were tied for the, the team lead when it came to home runs. Mike Troutwine, another product out of, out of Northwestern, mentioned Griffin Dorsing. Look at Troy Black. We talked about him on, on, the, on the conversation about top pitching performances, and, and he got the opportunity to pitch before the end of the season, but he was a dual threat out of, out of Faulkner. And he had a five home run season. Ronnie or Ronald, you be the judge, but he wanted to go by one or the other. But by uh, 2019, I think it was Ronnie, if I, if I remember correctly. Ronnie Sweeney the third, but he's another guy that had been with the team for a couple of years and had some nice moments. Daryl Myers, Trent Bauer, you know, Justin Olsen, maybe not from a, a batting average standpoint, but he got on base 56 walks that year. That shattered the team record for walks in a, in a single season. So there were some, some fun players to watch on this 2019 team, some great characters. But, I, again, I think if you want to start this conversation, you start with Griffin Dorsing because every time he came to the plate, you just had this feeling that ball was going to be out of here. And he was also the NCAA home run uh, derby champion. So he left the team for a few days in, in June and went over to, I believe, Omaha is where they hosted it. And yep. he uh, from North, was representing Northern Kentucky and won the, uh, the NCAA home run derby championship. And that's got to be a lot of pressure. You win that in the middle of a Northwoods League season. And then you come back, and fans and, you know, your teammates, everyone's just expecting you to hit the long ball every time. But the, the, the thing about it, though, when you, talk with, when you talk during the season with Griffin, I mean, he was a confident player. I mean, he, he had goals for himself. He, wanted, he didn't quite hit his goal. He wanted to get in double digits for home runs. He ended up with nine, uh, as mentioned, tied for the team with Cole Barr. But, man, he came on strong at the end of the season, too. And, and you could just tell there was a confidence level in him, especially as the season went on by, you know, the dog days of summer, by mid to late July, he was seeing the ball at a beach ball size. And he had a game against Madison on July 28th, ended up hitting a couple of home runs, a solo shot in the second, a two-run shot in the fifth. Then he came back about, you know, he also had a two-home run performance against Green Bay. So all in about a three-, four-day stretch there where he had a couple of multi-home run performances. But remember, he did this at Capco Park when you look at the first seven seasons for the Snooks, Home runs were not flying out of Capco Park very often, but this 2019 team figured it out and ended up setting a, a franchise record for home runs hit at the ballpark. Yeah, if you look at the record books, you know, you mentioned that the home runs, you know, Cole Barr and Dorsey are, are tied for fourth right now with nine. Uh, just above them is Ryland Thomas, who we mentioned had a huge long ball. Forrest Chadwick, which it's hard to believe. You look at Forrest Chadwick, smaller guy, 11 home runs, which is amazing. Yeah. And then Lucas Raley obviously holds that record with 14. Granted, four of them came in one game. But, you know, I mean, if you look at the record books on LakeshoreChinooks.com, if you are you know have time to page to this, fans, it's amazing the number of guys from the 2019 roster that appear in this thing. Jake Thompson, third all-time batting average at 355. Daryl Myers right underneath him at 341. Myers ranked for triples. I mean, you mentioned Justin Olsen, not the greatest batting average, but now he holds the record for most walks for the Chinooks. You know, Cole Barr. You know, maybe not the most well-known stat you want, but ranked second and hit by pitches with 12 right now. So, No, he was up there in stolen bases, runs scored, Thompson and RBIs. As far as, you know, single season totals going, and you're right, that 2019 team, and one thing that stands out, we talk all about this franchise being built around pitching, and, and we've said it in other podcasts, that was a pitching staff that was, you know, kind of being pieced together and rotation-wise was being pieced together. And so – something had to give and there were moments that offense like I said were lights out I mean they had that 20 to 4 game two victory against Fond du Lac after experiencing the new extra inning rules for the first time at Capco Park in game one and a tough loss against the Docs Spiders but they had a 20 to 1 lead after five in that game I mean, they're capable of scoring 10 plus runs and it was exciting because this team was in the thick of the playoff race going into the final week of the regular season things did obviously pan out for these Chinooks but they gave themselves an opportunity and and there was a confidence about this team going into late July, early August that wasn't there, say, June. And thankfully, we won't talk about the defensive play of 2019 on this topic. Oh. As I was paging through this record book, 
errors. We have three guys from the 2013 squad. I'm not going to highlight their names personally, but three guys tied for third with each of 14 errors each. So a rough so, year in the field for the Lakeshore Chinook for 2019. Needless to say, we won't have a podcast next week for the top defensive performances in team history. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you hit it on the head there for sure. Um, <laughs> you know, you look at some of these names, and a lot of them have recently come up in conversations with Travis Napier and John Kane as they start to not start, but as they have built the 2020 roster as of right now. You know, uh, we're not sure of the status of the season quite yet, but you know, the COVID 19 outbreak has just really changed the roster in so many ways. So, you know, before this, Griffin Dorsey and Cole Barr were pretty much locks to be drafted in the MLB draft. Now with that getting canceled, they were both, they're both scheduled to come back this season, which is great to see. Then you have a lot of guys from last year's roster that were heading out to the Cape. Jake Thompson, Daryl Myers, Mike Troutline. Um, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, Cape Codley got canceled. All those guys came to us. And unfortunately, you know, we've worked, everybody in the nation wants to play for the Northern's League because at this moment, they're the only ones still scheduled to play. So, you know, Usually you had a time machine and you go back in time and, you know, knowing what would happen, boy, if you could get a lot of these guys back for a second year, the guys that are supposed to be in the Cape and a lot of these other guys have been impacted by other seasons being canceled, boy, the Chinooks could put together a hell of a roster this season. Well, I almost feel like it's, it's, it's equivalent to what happened from 2016 to 2017. You had a couple of playoff teams, but so many guys in 2016 got their feet wet with the Chinooks and had okay seasons. But a number of guys kind of broke out of their shell in 2017. And what I think would be exciting is, let's say there is a 2020 campaign. And, again, we don't know at this moment whether that's going to happen, what it's going to look like if there is a season. But if these guys do come back, the nice thing is is you don't have that learning curve that maybe you have. And, you know, you just, you just talked about, okay, that adjustment going from aluminum to lumber. You don't have that maybe, maybe a week or so, but it's, it's a lot quicker than it was, say, going into 2019 for some of these guys with, with what to expect. and so you have that advantage of having a year of experience helping the other guys out too. I mean, that, that, that's a big bonus. I mean, sometimes you forget about how uh, invaluable, you know, having a guy like a Griffin Dorsing who's got a year of experience coming back, helping the guys that are new to the Northwoods league become. So there's so many things that, that could work out, but, but if everything comes into place and some of these guys do in fact come back, obviously the, the question mark becomes what's the pitching going to look like and the defense, you know, bounce back from a dismal summer but at least on paper, offensively, you got to be encouraged by what could be. It'll be an interesting 2020 season because these guys don't have access to hitting cages. So even, you know, guys returning from last season, new guys joining the Chinooks, boy, it's going to take these guys a while to get back in the swing of things. Who knows what the beginning of a season, if we even get one, is going to look like. But, uh, yeah, we're definitely looking to the 2020 season. I think you hit it right on the, the head just a moment ago. And I think a lot of the guys you mentioned is the perfect example of that. These guys benefit so much from returning for a second year in the Northwoods League. Like you mentioned, they're adapted to it. They're used to the winning bat. And I think a lot of those guys that had great years with us were in their second year of, a, of a, their Chinooks career. Yeah, there's a number of instances like that. You can go back to 2014, number of guys that came back from 2013. And just with that, that playoff experience, knowing what it takes to get into the postseason, what it takes to win. And a lot of the guys came back, or not a lot, but at least a handful of guys came back in 2014, got some of the new guys on board. And, and they figured it out, and, and look what that somewhere ended up becoming. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot like I did last week at the top pitching performances. I got two questions for you. The first one, in, in your opinion, best overall power hitter in Chinook's history? Whew, that's, that's a tough one because one of the guys that jumps out to me comes back to 2012, Eric Aguilera. I mean, certainly, you know, look, look at some of his totals. Uh, just look what he was able to do for a team that, you know, was an expansion team, and they, they kind of did what you'd expect during an inaugural campaign. Uh, uh, he certainly is in that category, but, but Brett it all too. I mean, we talked about him in 2014 and showing off his power, but those are probably the first two that, that, that come to mind. Uh, certainly somebody's probably out there yelling, what about Lucas Raley? What about, you know, a guy like Jake Knoll? They'd be in the conversation as well. If I put a top five list together, they'd probably be right in there along with Forrest Chadwick. What about best overall hitter? Not necessarily power, but just best overall hitter at the plate. Oof. That's a good one, too. Uh, maybe Ryland Thomas. 
maybe maybe again I'd go with an Eric Aguilera. I guess the to go back to your first question, when you look at power, Griffin Dorsey would certainly be in that, that category because it seemed like when he did make contact with the ball, he just hit the ball. I mean, he smashed the ball. Uh, it didn't even matter if it was a single. It, he, I mean, he, the, the sound that came off the bat was not a sound you could hear from everybody else uh, making contact with the ball. Uh, he'd be in that category. You know, Bray Kimball, too, even going back to 2012, when you just look at, you know, just overall as, as a hitter, he had a number. You know, Eddie Morgan always preached quality at bats. And it didn't matter if, you you know, the stats follow. It just, you put together quality at bats and took your fair share of pitches, and Bray Kimball certainly fit that category. Well, that's going to put a bow on this week's episode of Top Hitting Performances. Uh, we're looking forward to bringing you more podcast episodes and exclusive content. we got our interviews with some of our MLB alum who played for the Chinooks in the coming weeks. Uh, our podcast comes out on Thursday. We usually record them a few days prior. So hopefully when this hits, we do have an update since we're in the month of May. We apologize. We haven't been able to give you any news yet regarding the 2020 season presented by Fort Washington State Bank, but technically less than 30 days from opening day. Uh, I think we'd all be shocked if we saw it, but we're really hoping to play baseball at Capitol Park at some point on this summer. Uh, make sure to keep tuning in to LakeshoreChinooks.com and all of our social media platforms for updates regarding the any delays or cancellations of the 2020 season. Uh, Matt, anything you want to add before we uh, wrap things up here? Well, I'm just hoping to be more productive in the next week. So next time we talk, I can give you more to, to report on. All right. He is the voice of the Chinooks and the human encyclopedia, as we call him, Mr. Yeah. Matt Menzel. And he's looking forward to hopefully calling games out of Capitol Park again this summer. I'm Eric Snyder, assistant GM. We thank you for tuning in right here on the Nook Nation podcast on the Chinooks social network.